Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When the Lord Jesus was conducting his ministry, he taught the law. He taught the law of Moses. And the reason for that was because he had the objective of leading a person to the point of recognizing that they needed to experience, they needed to receive the mercy and the forgiveness of God. But for a person to come to that point, to realize that they have a need for his forgiveness and for his mercy, they need the law. They need the law in their lives. They need to be condemned. They need something or someone to show them that they have a need for forgiveness. Because if you do not recognize that you have a need for forgiveness, it's going to be very difficult to truly embrace the forgiveness that our God has offered to humanity. To receive forgiveness and to truly embrace it, you must recognize that you have a need for it. So the Lord Jesus spent most of his ministry speaking to people on this level, giving them the law, telling them to live in obedience to the law, because eventually it would lead them to this point. It would lead them to the point of despair, whereas they would eventually recognize and realize that they had no hope outside of his grace and mercy, that they would have a need for his forgiveness. And so this was his purpose. Now, very few people understood that. Very few people really embraced what the Lord Jesus had to say. The majority of the people who witnessed his ministry believed in him because of the works that he performed. They believed in him because of the miracles that he did. They believed in him and they followed him because of the food that he gave them to eat, but they did not necessarily look to him for who he really was. They did not necessarily embrace him because of the message that he was presenting. They were more interested in what he was going to do to benefit their flesh than they were interested in what he was there to do to benefit their spirits, to benefit their hearts. There were some people who were looking to him in that context, but the vast majority of the people who looked to the Lord Jesus were not looking to him in that context. They were instead looking to him as the future king. They were looking to him as the person who would heal them, who would bless them, who would give them opportunities to have a better way of life. That's how they saw the Lord Jesus. Now, when the Lord Jesus died and rose from the dead, the gospel was presented to humanity. The good news of the restoration of the Holy Spirit was presented and understood by the initial disciples and apostles who made up the church. The people who were resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit began the church, but when they started to live their lives, after they were resurrected, when they went forward and tried to live the life that was before them, they continued to live a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law. And the reason why they did that was because they had not yet fully understood the implications of forgiveness. They had not yet completely embraced that. They had not understood what this would really mean in their lives. 
Now, this might sound a little surprising to you to suggest that the early apostles did not have it all together right away. And so let's consider a couple of examples. If I was to say to you that there was no way that you could be saved if you're a Gentile unless you become a Jew first, then perhaps you would suggest to me that I was a little immature in my faith. Well, if that's the case, then when was it that the apostles discovered that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew? Well, that was Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. It was in Acts chapter 10 when Peter discovered this, and it was in Acts chapter 11 when he delivered the message that the Lord Jesus gave to him that was revealed to him when Cornelius and his household were saved before they were converted to Judaism. I talk about this in the verse-by-verse study that I did on the book of Acts, and I also mention this in the study that I did on the subject of baptism. So if this is a legitimate example, then it should not be a surprise for me to say that they did not have it all together right away. How about Acts chapter 15? In Acts chapter 15, they discussed the question of whether or not a Gentile had to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. Now, their conclusion was that a Gentile did not have to do that, But if you study that chapter, if you study Acts chapter 15, you will discover that it appears that they believe that a Jew would still need to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. So the church was struggling with the law. The Apostle Paul recognized the implications of forgiveness. He recognized the purposes for the law and he described those purposes as purposes that needed to be established and upheld. However, we were not to use the law as our way of life because there was a new way of life that has been revealed to us that we are now to live in, and that is a life of faith. It is a life of trusting because this is the difference between the two ways of life. One way of life is with the law, and the other way of life is with faith. The life under the law is a life of doing things for God so that he will bless you in return. And the life of faith is believing and trusting in what he has done for you and living with the blessings that he has given to you because of what he accomplished. Those are the two different ways of living. The one way of living under the law is a life based on what you do for God, and the way of life in faith is a life based on what he has done for you. And you cannot live in both ways simultaneously. There's no way to accomplish that. One way of life is based on trying to obtain blessings. Another way of life is based on living with the blessings that you have already received in Christ Jesus. Again, those are two completely different ways of living. Now, the Apostle Paul was trying to present this to the people during his time. And he wrote the book of Romans in order to explain this to people, to tell them that there is another way of living. But the only way that you can enter into the life of faith is by letting go of the law. You have to let go of that. You have to put that aside and recognize what it was given for, be thankful for what it was given for, use it for that purpose, but then when you experience the salvation that our God has provided for us, then walk in that. Continue to walk in that and live in the newness of life that he has available for us. And the way that Paul explains this in Romans chapter 4 is by talking about Abraham. 
Paul refers to Abraham in order to explain to the Jews of his time that there is another way of living, but that this way of life is not new, that this way of life has always existed, but there has been a period of distraction by the Mosaic law because people did not recognize that they had a need for mercy and for forgiveness. The law of God that was given through Moses was given for that purpose because people had a need for that. But the Apostle Paul says that after that has done its perfect work, after the law has done its perfect work, then you can enter into the new life and that this is not as new as you might think because there are some similarities between the life of faith that we have now and the life of faith that Abraham had. And he uses the subject of justification. Now, this can easily be understood when people talk about religion today. When people talk about religion, especially in the context of Christianity, then people define their religion, they define their identity, they define themselves on the basis of what they do or what they don't do. Today, if you were to ask somebody, hey, what makes you a good Christian? What is it that makes you a good Christian? And people will say, well, you don't sin as much as you used to. And you do these other good things. You do these other good works. You go to church. You give to the poor. You participate in service projects. You do things for your community. You pray to God. You ask for forgiveness. You give offerings. There is a list that people can compile in order to define what makes a good Christian. But this list will be a list of all the rules and regulations and laws that a person lives by in order to identify themselves or in order to assert themselves as being a good Christian. So also during the time of the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the Jews identified themselves on the basis of law. They only ate certain things. They worshipped the Lord on a certain day. They did not work on a certain day, the Sabbath day. They observed the commandments of God with regards to the festivals that they were to attend in Jerusalem every year. They observed the commandments of God of do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. These were the definitive laws that people lived by in order to assert themselves as being pretty good people. And they believed that they were justified, that they were holy because of their obedience. Just like today, there are many Christians who believe that their holiness is defined, is established by their obedience to God. And they live on the basis of the laws of the church, on the basis of the laws that they have chosen or they have extracted from the scriptures, the ones that they would like to obey because they believe that they are applicable to their lives today. So also back then, the Jews struggled with the same issues. They believed that their identity before their God, they believed that their purpose in life, that their very existence was defined on the basis of the law that was given through Moses and that their holiness was determined by this and their justification was determined by this and so they needed to continue to pursue this and do this. But of course there is no end to that. There is no end to a life of repentance and obedience and so there is no opportunity to be at rest. There is no opportunity to be loved by your God or be accepted by your God because you need to continue to try and try and try to obey and repent and obey and repent and ask for forgiveness when you fail. 
you will never come to the end of this, and so you will never be able to walk in the newness of life that has been made available that is based on a life of faith, a life of trust and reliance, a life of receiving the inheritance that he has already given, a life of being blessed as opposed to a life of trying to obtain the blessings of God, that there are two completely different ways of living here. And the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage people to pursue the life under the new covenant, not the life under the old. Now, in Romans chapter 4, he refers to Abraham. When he refers to Abraham, he is introducing something very different from what the people were living in at the time that he wrote this. The Jews during this time were trying to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, not recognizing that the Mosaic Law came after Abraham. They were trying to live a way of life that was defined after Abraham, a life that they could not live, but they were trying to do so anyway. They were not recognizing that there was something before. And I say that because Paul mentions it. He mentions that indirectly because he refers to Abraham, someone who they were apparently ignoring because they did not consider that Abraham had a relationship with God. Abraham was justified. He was righteous. He was considered to be holy before his God. And that existed before the Mosaic Law. And so if it existed before the Mosaic Law, then why do you need the Mosaic Law? Why do you need any law? Why do you need any law when there was a way of being the friend of God without it? Now, please recognize that the relationship that God had with Abraham was an exclusive relationship. And I mean exclusive in the sense that the children of Abraham did not enjoy the same relationship with their God as Abraham enjoyed, as Abraham had. These were two completely different relationships. And Paul explains this by saying that Abraham was justified by faith, not by his works. But the people of Israel, the Jews, believed that they were justified by their works. So they have a completely different relationship with their God than Abraham did. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, what I am presenting to you in the context of the New Covenant really is not as new as you might think it is. It really is not as new as people suggest that it is. I mean, it is certainly new in the sense that the Lord had not officially defined it until after Abraham. He defined it and explained it after Abraham, but Abraham did experience it beforehand. Now, experienced it, yes, but he did not know the fullness of it because Abraham did not receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is a very important distinction. But when it comes to justification, when it comes to righteousness, it has always been by faith. This is what I'm referring to. When it comes to the blessings of God, it has always been by faith. When it comes to the divine intervention of the living God, it has always been based on faith. It has always been this way. There is definitely something different when it comes to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But when it comes to being justified or righteous, this has always been the same. It has always been the same. And so Paul diverts their attention from the Mosaic Law and says, listen, you need to consider Abraham. 
In Romans chapter 4, verse 1, he said, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What did he find? You're all preoccupied with what you think you're going to find, but what did he find? In verse 2, it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Well, he has something to boast about because he's deceived. You can never be justified by your works. If he thinks that he can, then he can boast about it, but he's living in a lie. He's living in a deception. Just as these individuals believed that they could be justified by their works, and they were boasting in their holiness. They were boasting in their righteousness. Today, the same thing. People boast in the Christian world because of what they have done for God, because they have overcome their sin. And they may have something to boast about to themselves, but not before God, because he knows better. He knows better. In verse 3, Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. Now, this is an important issue, and I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. And that is the idea that God owes us. And I will return to this in just a moment. But before I do, I want to finish this issue. I want to finish this point, and that is that Abraham was identified as righteous, as justified, as holy, because he believed his God. And this has never changed. If you are going to be justified before your God, it is only going to be based on the fact that you believe your God and that you trust in him and nothing else. Abraham did not have the law and he was right with God. Abraham did not have the law and he had a relationship with his God. Abraham did not have the law and he was a friend of God and he experienced a mutual interactive relationship with his God that no one in Israel was experiencing at the time that this was written, at the time when Paul was writing this letter. Apparently no one was encountering their God as Abraham had. And this is a reason why, because they were distracted with the law. They were consumed with the law. It was taking them away from their God. He gave it for that reason, folks. He gave it so that it would take people further away from him, not so that they would be drawn to him to take them further away so that they realize that they have a need for his grace and mercy. And on that basis, he would be able to draw them to him for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons, for the right reasons, because of what he does, not because of what they do. Abraham had this relationship before the law. And so it is okay to let go of the law because the relationship that he wants to have with us can be experienced outside of it. And it is not just for the Jews. It is also for the Gentiles. It should be clear that the Gentiles can experience this relationship. It should be clear in that context because they don't even have the law. They don't have it. They don't have the law of Moses. That's why they're Gentiles. And so if they don't have it and they can be born again by his spirit, if they can enter into a covenant with God on the basis of what he has done, on the basis of his works, then why is it so difficult for the Jew to let go of the law? 
Well, the same reason why it's so difficult for everybody else to let go of the law, because they don't want to let go of their opportunity to boast. They don't want to let go of their opportunity to have pride. Now, when it comes to crediting things, or when it comes to God owing us things, this is manifested in different ways. Let me give you a subtle way that this is manifested in many people's lives today. It's not unusual for me to get a phone call from someone And they say something that sounds like this. They say, listen, I have done everything that I was told to do. I have gone to church. I have tithed. I have prayed. I have confessed my sins. I have done everything that my pastor has told me to do. And my life is still a disaster or it has become a disaster. Why is it that this is happening to me? Why is it? that my God is not blessing me for my repentance and my obedience. This is a common conversation that I have with individuals. And I want you to hear what is actually being said. What is being said is that God owes me. That's what's being said. I have done. I have not done. And because of that, he should be blessing me. But he obviously is not And yet, I know lots of people who totally reject the existence of God, and yet they seem to be doing fine. Why is it that this is happening to me? What am I doing wrong? What am I not doing right? Again, the same issue. And they're asking me what they should be doing or what they should not be doing. They're asking me to help them identify the sins in their lives. They're asking me to help them identify how they should be changing their life so that they can be blessed by their God. It's the same thing that people were dealing with back at the time when Jesus was ministering and Paul was ministering. The same issue exists today. It's just that people don't use the Mosaic Law. They use parts of it, perhaps, but they use other laws, the laws of the church, the laws of the denomination, the laws of the people that they have been assembling with. And they are expecting that God owes them, that he needs to bless them in return. But that's the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem is that you believe that God owes you, but he doesn't. He doesn't owe you anything. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. He's not going to bless you because of what you do or don't do. He blesses you because of what he has done. He has already given to you all the blessings in heavenly places. He has given to you all that you need for life and godliness. It is written that he has given to you all that you need for life and godliness. And so what else are you looking for? What else do you expect? What do you really expect your God to give you? Now listen, I believe that he can intervene in people's lives and he can do wonderful things for people. He can give them lots of things. I'm not saying that he won't or that he can't. What I am saying is that people seem to have this attitude that he owes them because of their works. That is an attitude that exists today, just as it existed during the time when Paul wrote Romans chapter 4. It existed back then, which is why he wrote this. He wrote this in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That is the blessing that he is offering. That is the blessing that he is giving. How often do I hear from people telling me that they recognize how blessed they truly are because God does not hold their sins against them. And how often do people live a life of thankfulness for what they have, for what he has done. It is very unusual. It is very unusual for people to live this way. And the reason why they don't, the reason why they can't, is because they're still hanging on to the law. They're still hanging on to the law, saying that they must repent and obey. They must repent and obey. They must avoid sin. They must overcome sin. They must get the sin out of their lives. They're still living this way. And it sounds good. It sounds holy. It sounds righteous. But it takes you away from an opportunity to live in true thankfulness. Partial thankfulness, maybe, but not full thankfulness. You can partially be thankful because on occasion you ask for his forgiveness and you believe that he forgives you, at least for the sins you committed yesterday. The sins you commit tomorrow, you're going to have to deal with tomorrow. That's what I mean by partial, partial blessings, partial forgiveness. And partial forgiveness and partial blessings are nothing. You might as well have nothing because in comparison with the fullness of what you have, it truly is nothing. Folks, you've got to start with this. You have to start being thankful for the forgiveness that you have. When you do, then you will be able to let go of the law. This is the key that unlocks the door. It is forgiveness. Let go of it because the law had no place in the life of Abraham. It had no place in the life of the Apostle Paul. It no longer has a place in my life, and I am thankful. I am very thankful that I can live with the blessings that he has given, instead of living, trying to get blessings from God. Remember Abraham. Do not forget Abraham. He was blessed by his God because he believed him. That is why. He made Abraham a great nation because he believed him. He gave him a son. He gave him descendants. He gave him the land because he believed him. That was why. It will always be that way. And we can now live in the inheritance that has been given to us in Christ Jesus if we will only believe him. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.